And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer. Thank you for joining us today. This program, within the milieu of history, theology, current events, attempts to answer questions that have been sent to us by you, the listener, or some questions that we've gathered up ourselves. Today we have a question before us, but first let me introduce who's with us in the studio. Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Good day. And Professor Hans Vogt of Ulster County Community College. Pleasure to be here. Nice to have you gentlemen here with us. The question that has come in is this, comes from a listener in Shokan. Says, you may have already discussed this, but my question is on politics. What role, if any, does the church have in political involvement? And a corollary question, is the separation of church and state a biblical concept? And we'll take the first part of that question, because actually the second part we already covered on August the 15th on the First Amendment, and that is posted to the website. So uh, we would refer you to that posting at RedeemerBroadcasting.org under Programming and under MP3 Samples. So here's the question, gentlemen. You may have already discussed this, but my question is on politics. What role, if any, does the church have in political involvement? If you look at this question, what you're going to see in church history is two extremes. On the one extreme, you have the medieval church, uh, where it was totally enmeshed in politics. And in fact, one of the great examples of that uh, is Pope Gregory VII Hildebrand, when he was uh, dealing with the Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV. The Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV tried to depose Gregory VI, and Gregory the Sixth excommunicated and told all of his uh, subjects that they didn't have to obey him. Well, it led to the, one of the classic and great pictures in church history of, of Henry the Fourth coming to Pope Hildebrand in Canossa, standing bareheaded in the snow for three days, seeking his forgiveness. You see the enmeshment there. Mm. In contrast, you see something like the Amish and the Mennonites, the Anabaptists, who try to be totally uninvolved in in politics and the state, but even there you find that can't quite happen. In the American Revolution, for example, the Mennonites said they're going to be neutral. They were not going Mm -hmm. to take sides. However, they actually did start taking sides. Not that they militarily got engaged, but when it came to selling of products and horses and things like that, they would sell them to the British and they wouldn't sell them to the Americans. So by default, they got involved. Yeah. I think that's uh, an important point because the reality is that by not getting involved or not speaking out on injustice, you are by default being involved. You are by Mm -hmm. default taking a side. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even when you may think that you are trying to stay out in reality or not. You mentioned an interesting uh, phrase there, and that is injustice. At first blush, we might be inclined to think, oh, politics is just dirty. But uh, there's actually a very wholesome and good aspect to politics. And you mentioned just one of several. Absolutely. You know, John Calvin, uh, the great reformer, said, the most sacred profession a man can choose is politics, (laughs) to become a civil magistrate, an ordained minister of divine justice, directly under God's law, protecting the poor, the weak, and the oppressed, irrespective of their belief. This is truly holy work, 
governing the world as God's vice-regent. That's an amazing quote. And so I think, you know, what Calvin's talking about there is not that there should be uh, an established church or the kind of medieval blurring of all lines uh, between church and state, but rather uh, it's recognizing the importance of religion and politics and that a political career is a vocation, it is a calling from God, um, just as any other profession. Indeed it is. Calvin's quote sounds pretty much like he had framed it around uh, Romans 13, in fact, where it uh, says in verse 1, "...let every soul be subject to the governing authorities." For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So it's God himself who gets intimately involved in the affairs of this world. You see that also in the scriptures where you have the responsibilities of individuals to be involved. If you look at Ezekiel, for example, chapter 3s and chapter 33, it talks about the watchman. And the watchman, he's to stand and he's to give a warning And if he doesn't give a warning, he's culpable for the disaster that comes. However, if he gives a warning and the people don't listen, then his hands are innocent. Even though the disaster comes, he at least will have fulfilled his duty. And I think that Mm -hmm. that applies to Christians as well. That's a good point. Going back to your quote there, Hans, the John Calvin quote, what also struck me is partway through that quote, he's talking about the oppressed, irrespective of their belief. In other words, protecting those people. And I see something very significant there in the Christian worldview, that here's a group of people, let's say, who's out there, they have a different belief than we do, and yet, as a godly civil magistrate, we're obligated to protect them. That's right. You know, rulers have authority, not in and of themselves, they have authority as stewards. Mm. Uh, and they are required to uphold God's standards of justice mm-hmm. uh, for all. Uh, you know, Daniel clearly told Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian emperor, your authority only comes from God. Jesus said the same thing to Pontius Pilate. You would have no authority over me mm-hmm. if it were not given to you from above. Um, you know, Peter, uh, before the Sanhedrin in Acts, we must obey God rather than yeah. men. So rulers have to recognize that the authority that they have is not intrinsic to themselves, mm. and the standards of justice that they apply have to ultimately come from God. And also in that I see a uh, quote-unquote risk factor, where we as godly civil magistrates protect the oppressed, protect them irrespective of their belief, and their belief may be one that leads to totalitarianism even. Uh, I know there's limits to how far this reasoning can go, but I'm thinking here, suppose we were in a country where Sharia law was in effect. Would you expect to see a protection, irrespective of our Christian belief, from those in power that are uh, running the country in accordance with Sharia law? I don't think so. No, all politics comes from a a worldview, and the Christian worldview here is very important. Uh, Our view of human nature is really where it begins, that Mm -hmm. human beings are created in God's image. They are fallen. But there is the hope, as Paul talks about in in Romans, you know, that all creation uh, is awaiting redemption. Hmm. Uh, And so constitutional freedoms that we have in the United States are very important. Um, Not only because they allow us to do good, 
um, but also because they can expose our sins and mm-hmm. errors. Mm-hmm. Well, I see we're uh, coming up on a break here. You're listening to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We will take a short break and be right back. We've got lots more to discuss today. Stay with us. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome Mm -hmm. back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. Before the break, we were talking about the um, distinction in Christianity of it not being tribal, of it being such that it protects, let's say you have a Christian civil magistrate, they are obligated to protect the poor, the weak, the oppressed, irrespective of their belief, and how that this is a rather unique occurrence in the history of the world, really. Yeah, you had mentioned Sharia law. Now, one of the things you can do is you can just look at the nations that have Sharia law. Is there any freedom in there? Do they protect those of different beliefs? No, they don't. Mm. But not only that, as you said, tribalism. You go to a lot of the tribes in Africa and some of these nations where we've, even in the 20th and 21st centuries, we've seen how tribalism rises up. And if you're a member of the dominant tribe, you're fine. But if you're not, you may be killed. You Mm -hmm. know, your rights are not there. Mm -hmm. Christianity is unique. And I'm talking about Reformed Christianity. I'm not talking about the medieval Catholicism mm-hmm. with the Inquisition in that sense. Mm-hmm. But when you see from the Reformation coming here, we have a protection of those who disagree with our belief systems. Yes. And uh, we see it in our country. And, and yeah, there were some dark spots in the early colonial history. Of course, everybody remembers Roger Williams and Anne Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. But remember... They were exiled, they were not killed, and on top of that, most people don't realize it wasn't just a matter of these people just saying, well, we disagree with you, and then the Puritans getting all upset and exiling them. Very often, these people would hold protests. They would get up in worship services and disrupt things. So they'd be disrupting the worship service? Right. Mm. Okay. Now, there's a whole uh, section in the Bible, a very familiar psalm, Psalm 2, that I think we should uh, cover here today in this discussion. We're talking about the church and politics. What role does the church have in political involvement, if any? 
And here's a section of Scripture, Psalm 2. I don't know if you got it there, Pastor Mark. Possibly you could read it for us, where uh, I think it applies very nicely to uh, this question at hand. Well, let me get into the Bible. I'll get the ESV here. I don't know what translation you got there. You might have that reverse standard version. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. It's an amazing piece of scripture there. I always love that phrase, rejoice with trembling. That's right. Kind of an ironic statement, isn't yeah, it? To rejoice yeah. with trembling. A holy fear of God. That is. Yeah. yeah. And to think that God himself here is addressing uh, the rulers of our age. That's right. We would say the civil magistrates using uh, Romans 13 terminology. And he is instructing these judges of the earth. Right. And first and foremost, they're to serve the Lord. And as you say, they're to rejoice with trembling. We need to remember that we are not only citizens of the United States, but that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Yes. Um, and, you know, when we uh, pray um, the Lord's Prayer, uh, we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, oh, yeah. on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world, he didn't just mean that it was spiritual. He meant that it had different standards, uh, which are opposed to the usual standards of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the standards that we are called to reflect and to bear witness to as Christians. Uh, we need to bear witness to peace, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the discord and, and, and strife and tribe versus tribe that we see tragically so often. We need to bear witness to uh, stewardship uh, versus waste, justice versus inequality. Um, these are the kinds of, of things, and we need to develop a distinctive Christian approach to politics. You know, there's a difference between a Christian who is in politics and a Christian politician. Yeah. Uh, we need to think distinctively, uh, biblically, about how we approach the political issues of our day. I am so glad you brought up that quote of our Lord Jesus, where he does say, my kingdom is not of this world, because often that is misapplied, misunderstood. And uh, indeed, he's really spelling out there that his standards are not derived from this world's standards. Uh, His power comes from himself. His authority is not from this world. And so it's not at all saying that as Christians we 
are to be hands-off. We're not to have anything to do with this, quote, evil world. Well, yeah, it is a dirty world at times, many times. That doesn't mean that we're not to get involved in it. Yeah, if you think of his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, what is he saying there? He says, I ask not that you take these people out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Mm, right. So we are left in the world, um, but be kept from the evil one by the Holy Spirit. And so God himself, in all of these verses, the Psalm 2, where he himself is instructing the kings from his holy law, um, our Lord's prayer Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are great admonitions for us to uh, seek to affect our culture in which God has placed us for good. And it doesn't mean we ram things down people's throats, but uh, we protect the oppressed. We look out for the poor, the weak, and we do it because we're Christians. If you think about some of the metaphors that Jesus uses when he talks about the kingdom, he compares it to a little bit of yeast that works through the dough and and causes Mm. it to rise. He talks about, you know, a city set on a hill which cannot Mm. be hid, light of the world, salt of the earth. Uh, You know, these are all metaphors which suggest transformation of Mm. culture and society, Uh, taking God's standards and showing the world this is what God intended for his creation. Mm Well, we got on this whole discussion today because of a listener question that came in. Let me read the question again, and it was this. What role, if any, does the church have in political involvement? So let's go back up to that question. We kind of drilled down and addressed some aspects to it. What role, if any, does the church have in political involvement? And let's just uh, talk about what things the church wouldn't do. This is a big debate, you know. (laughs) When you start talking about what role does the church have, Mm -hmm. now, I think there's almost a couple issues in here. Um, The church's primary responsibility is to worship and to evangelize and make disciples. That's its primary responsibility. If they get caught up in politics... They are going to miss that. That's what we saw happen with a lot of the churches at the end of the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Got an individual like Horace Bushnell, and he started talking about how to get involved with social justice areas. Now, some of these areas may be very good, but if you get there, you're totally distracted, and soon, what happens? I mean, look at uh, the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. Well, mm-hmm. what did it start mm-hmm. off as? It started off as a great organization to encourage Christian faith among young men, but then it got focused into the more physical aspects of there, and soon the Young Men's Christian Association, the YMCA, is not considered to be much of a Christian organization anymore. Mm. Right. I think different individuals have different callings or vocations from God. Um, and I think God has called some people to be active in the political arena, whether as a, an elected official or working in an unelected position. Um, hopefully the church, through its preaching and its teaching and its worship, trains these individuals, equips them to think Christianly about the issues that they're going to be facing Uh, in their vocation. Um, And I think it's important that we think Christianly about it. The Dutch philosopher and and, and politician Abraham Kuyper wrote, You are forsaking the riches of Christ's kingdom 
if all you do is saunter around in other people's gardens Mm -hmm. with scissors, snipping off a flower here and a flower there to create your own bouquet. For the sake of God, grow your own flowers. (laughs) And and so Kuiper's point was that, I mean, common grace does exist, and and certainly non-believers can have good ideas and do good things, but our primary and ultimate authority has to be the Word of God not a great philosopher like Plato or John Locke, not a modern-day political commentator on the radio or TV, mm-hmm. not a political party either, but it has to go back to the Word of God. I was going to ask you, Hans, you know, you just quoted Kuiper. Did he walk the talk? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was uh, not only a founder of the Free University of Amsterdam, but he created a Christian Reform political party in the Netherlands. He served uh, as a member of parliament and ultimately as prime minister for five years in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So absolutely. So, and he was an ordained minister. Yes. I think also that uh, one of the no-nos, one of the areas where churches should not participate is that of partisan politics. So you shouldn't see a church that is, let's say, um, a democratic church or a republican church or what have you. It's got to be a biblical church. And depending on what the Democrats, Republicans, whatevers are doing at a particular point in time, the teaching of that church may or may not seem to align with one or the other, but it has first and always to be a biblical church. Now, here's an interesting quote. It comes from the Catholic Civil Rights League, and we found this on the Internet. It says this, The church's mission is religious, not political, economic, or social. However, her religious mission is not limited to spreading the gospel, but includes the renewal and improvement of the whole world. The religious mission of the church motivates political activity, providing the source of commitment, direction, and vigor to establish and consolidate the community of men according to the law of God. So uh, I thought that was an interesting quote from some of our Catholic friends, and I think I agree with it. Yeah, when we talk about uh, the church's primary mission, as Mark did, and he's absolutely right. And again, it's the idea that we are equipping people to think Christianly in all areas. Uh, Stewardship of the environment, Mm -hmm. um, addressing the needs of those in poverty, uh, addressing all of the variety of issues uh, that are out there. And that doesn't mean proof texting. You know, it's going to take some serious work in terms of theological reflection, uh, but it's work that needs to be done. Yeah, Yeah, one of the things, uh, just to give an example, the Christian church really has a great focus on this. Again, looking at, for example, the situation of poverty, there's two things that can happen in a situation of poverty. One, you can have those who just simply say, these people have no power, therefore we oppress them which is a wrong thing. The other thing is to look at that, and which is what liberation theology has come and done, and then look at the impoverished people and say, these people are the righteous people. These people, uh, we always favor the poor over mm. the rich. The Bible isn't that way. You can't do that either. The Bible says you favor neither the rich nor the poor. Right. You always work with equity. And in fact, the Bible looks at poverty in a, in a more vigorous way in the sense that it says some of the poverty that has occurred because of people's irresponsibility. What do you mm-hmm. do with those people? Well, you try to make them responsible. You do not reward them. Exactly. You try to push that. 
we're just about out of time here. This is this is a discussion probably will continue into next week. But in closing, let's just quote uh, part of this passage, hmm. Psalm 2, once again, and that is simply this. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And we want to thank you so much for joining us today for another edition of A Plain Answer. In the studio with me was the Reverend Mark Diedrich of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. Hans Vogt, Associate Professor of History, Ulster County Community College. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please tune in again next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.